You're listening to the sermon podcast from Meadowbrook Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming with Pastor Keith Miller. If you could stand to honor the reading of God's Word. We are going to be, just like the Beatitudes, we're just going to go through the Lord's Prayer for like the next five or so weeks. And, and so I invite you that as we turn our attention to the Lord's Prayer, you can you can. Read along out loud, recite it out loud if you have it you know, memorized. We stand to honor the reading of God's Word because we believe it is authoritative. It speaks into our lives. We believe that uh, even reading these words, the Lord's Prayer, that you, in the reading of these words you can hear the very voice of God, the same voice that spoke the galaxies into existence. So we turn our attention to Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 9. This is the word of the Lord. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You may be seated. So in 1968, a guy by the name of Irving West got in a, got in a fight at a, a, a school carnival. He was arrested, and as the police tried to uh, grab a hold of him, he said, you know, get your blankety-blank hands off of me. He used the Lord's name in an explicit kind of language, and he was arrested. When he stood before the judge, the judge uh, gave him 30 days in jail and uh, a fine for resisting arrest. That didn't surprise Irving so much as what came next. The judge then uh, issued an additional, or it ordered an additional 30 days of jail time and an additional fine for violating Maryland's blasphemy law that they had in existence up to that point for 320 years. Now, that law has been deemed unconstitutional and it's no longer a law in Maryland. I don't think it's a law in any of the states you know, in, in our country. But um, the temptation is when we read the Lord's Prayer and we come to this first of six petitions, hallowed be your name, to think that, that this is referring to how we are to speak God's name, how we are to use his name. And certainly, like I, I believe that to misuse his name is sinful, and I think it is a caricature of kind of where a person's heart is in the way they treat the name of God. But it's much more than that. It's much more than that. To hollow God's name, the, the, the Greek word for hallowed here, and I share this not to sound smart, but because I think, it's, I think it's important. The Greek word is agiazo, and it means to sanctify. So quite literally, it says, uh, sanctify your name. Now, here's, here's where we need to think about this. So does, does that mean that, that God's got work to do on his name, or that he has work to do? Uh, no, it doesn't mean that at all. Quite literally, it means May the renown of your name be honored as holy among the nations. That's how we're to begin. And not just the nations, but in our own life. 
And so what, what I want to show you is I, I want to show you something in this, in this prayer that I hope will, will open your mind up to what's being said here in a way that will shape your prayer life help you understand why God answers his, your prayers the way that he does. Sometimes you, think, you might think he hasn't answered your prayers. And, and, and how we are to pray. I, I, I think it will be worth, worth your time this morning seeing this. I, you know, I've read this prayer multiple times. I've said it. In fact, before I became a Christian, from, from, from like childhood all the way through high school, I recited the Lord's Prayer every night, even when I didn't know who, even though I didn't really believe in Jesus, and I was so far from Him. I still recited that, just in case, just in case I died, I could say, "God, I said the Lord's Prayer every night," and then that would get me into heaven. So, so I thought. But, um, but I want to show you some things uh, in this passage. I'm going to do it by way of just. I have two points. One is. God's name is to be honored as holy. I'm just going to unpack that a little bit. And then, then, I'll add, then the second point is how are we to honor God's name as holy? And so for the first point, I just I want to show you some things. One, um, I want you to see that there are six petitions in the Lord's Prayer. Okay, now this is not a lecture. This is actually a sermon. It, it would be worth your time. But here are the six petitions. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us as we forgive others. And lead us not into, te into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Those are the six petitions in the Lord's Prayer. Um, the one characteristic of God, of all of his attributes, there's one attribute that is raised to the third degree. And it isn't love. Like, you know, nowhere in Scripture do you read love, love, love. You know, God is love, love, love. Or that God is merciful, merciful, merciful. Or that God is just, just, just. Or God is, you know, any other attribute except for his holiness. It is his attribute, his characteristic of his holiness that is repeated to the third degree. Now, you might wonder, well, why? Why, why would they do that? Why would you repeat words like why do we see that in the Bible? Well, you didn't have punctuation marks in the original language. The way something was emphasized was through repetition. You know, our, in our day, what do we have? What are some ways that we emphasize things besides explanation point or question mark or whatever? How would you emphasize some stuff? Hey, just throw some things out to me. All capital letters. Is that usually in a text message? Yeah. And what does that say? You're either, what's that? Listen, or you're angry, or, or whatever. You know, in a document or a letter, you might underline. My dad would underline certain words when he would write a, write a card or write a message in a card for me. He would underline those important words he wanted me to see. Um, you know, all, there are all kinds of different ways. But in, in Scripture, it's repetition. So, for example, Jesus used this literary device uh, often. Like in John chapter 5, verse 24, he said, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. 
Now, the Greek word for truly is actually a Greek word that you all know. And the word is amen. It means uh, it is true. So when you pray and you close with amen, you are making a statement, it is true. Um, Or it could be translated, so be it. Jesus here says, it is true, it is true. Meaning, pay attention. What I'm saying is what? True, right? So uh, you have that. You have other words that are repeated, you know, like the woe, which we're going to see in, the, you know, in Isaiah chapter 6 when we visit that passage in a, minute, in a minute. Like, woe. Some places in the Bible you see, like, you see it repeated multiple times. There's one place in the Bible, in Revelation, it's repeated the, the word woe, which is to pronounce a curse upon yourself or to, to pronounce a curse on somebody else. Like Jesus said, woe to you Pharisees and scribes, you hypocrites. Remember that? Um, it's a strong word. Well, in Revelation, I forget what chapter, but there's woe, 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 speaking of the judgment that's coming upon the earth. And, and so in Isaiah 6, which I would invite you to go to, I, I think it's important that you turn to it. If you have a digital device, go to that on your phone or whatever you're using. If you have an actual Bible, turn to it. If, uh, if you don't have a Bible or a digital device, um, I would say grab one of the Bibles under the chair uh, that's in front of you. And so I want you to see this. In Isaiah chapter 6, from verses 1 and following, I think this helps us understand the Lord's Prayer, what we read in here. It it dawned on me this morning that when I, I I forget the exact date, but in 2018, in October, I came here to candidate to be the next lead pastor of Meadowbrook Church. And the sermon that I preached, uh, or the text that I preached from, was Isaiah chapter 6. And today, um, it dawned on me in the first service, today is the anniversary of when I, the, the first week I started as the lead pastor at Meadowbrook Church um, in November of 2018. So, yeah, just, I love how the Lord just like gives you signposts, like, hey, I'm doing something in your life, just a reminder. <laughs> And that, and that was one of them. But anyway, that's not in my sermon. So, Isaiah chapter 6. I'll just read this as you follow along. In the year that King Uzziah died, so he was a king, and he died. <laughs> um, he was a king for a, long t- for a long period of time. And uh, when he died, there were a lot of questions, like, who's the next king? What, does, wh- what do we do now? You know, the stability of, of Judah, which was the southern part of Israel, uh, was, in, was in question because the king died. In the year that the king died, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne. I saw Adonai, by the way. I saw Adonai, the sovereign one, sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Those are angels, in case you're wondering. Each had six wings, and with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said... Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And so it was Isaiah's response. As he saw, verse 4, the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me. Why, Isaiah, would you say such a thing? For I am lost. 
For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Now, Isaiah was invited into the throne room of God, and he was just overwhelmed by the holiness of this God that exposed something in Isaiah's life. And that was, he was a man with unclean lips. And he understood in that moment, before the throne, of, throne room of God, hearing the angels, the seraphim, sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. He, he recognized and realized in that moment, and rightfully so, that he should be damned. It was the holiness of God that exposed his sin, his sin problem. Ironically, Isaiah is a prophet. And, uh, and the problem in his life was he was a man with what? Unclean lips. In the midst of a people, or dwelled in the midst of a people with what? Unclean lips. Don't let that escape your, your notice here, because this is important. Isaiah, this is so cool, I think. Anyway, I'm geeking out. I was geeking out over this. Um, I see in Isaiah's response in the presence of God the first three Beatitudes. He, he sees the holiness of God. He's overwhelmed by the holiness of God. The holiness of God exposes, shines a spotlight on his sin. He's a man with unclean lips. And what is his response? I am undone. I, I bring nothing to the throne room of God. I am empty. There is nothing I bring here. And not only that, I am aware of my sin. And so what, what does that look like in his life? He mourns over his sin. Woe is me. It's a very strong word. I am damned. I am cursed. I should be in hell. So, you see, Isaiah, who's, is a, his response is one who's poor in spirit and one who is mourning over his sin. But here's the really great thing about this. In verse 6, what does God do? Well, he did, did I mean, did God say, it's okay, Isaiah, just, it will be fine, you'll get through this. I know it's kind of scary. Did, he, did, he, did God say, I'm, I'm sorry that I, 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 um, I made you feel less of, your, of yourself, that I ruined your self-esteem? <laughs> no, he doesn't do any of that, but he does do something. In verse 6, then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal, and he had taken with tongues from the altar, and he, what did he do? He touched that part of his mouth that he believed was, was responsible or uh, uh, the, the, the fruit of his sin, and that he should be damned. The angel took the tongue from the altar in the heavenly throne room and flew to Isaiah, and he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin, your sin atoned for. That's exactly what happens every time we come to the cross of Jesus Christ. Your guilt is taken away and your sins are atoned for. And so what is Isaiah, you know, what is his posture after that? Well, verse 8, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, 
Here's the meek part. Send me. Isaiah didn't say that because he thought it would be fun. He didn't say that because he was bored and needed something to do. He said it because as a result of being confronted and being undone by, a, by being in the presence of a holy God and then having his sin atoned for, he's like, I'll, I'll do whatever you want. I, my, I, it's no longer about me, God. It's, it's about you. And I am surrendering my will before your will. So send me. And you know, you read uh, Hebrews chapter 11. There's a line in Hebrews chapter 11. It's called the, it's, 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 um, Hebrews chapter 11 is nicknamed the Hall of Faith. There's a line in there that says, and some were sawn in two. And many believe that was Isaiah. That's how he died. Send me. Send me. It's meekness. <laughs> I was just blown away by that. In the Christian Standard Bible, I think captures the, 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 the first petition in the Lord's Prayer so well. I think it's probably a better translation than the ESV. And that is, this is the way it words it. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your name be honored as holy. In my life, and, amongst the, and among the nations. And so that was Isaiah's response. So I just wanted you to see that for a second, just that, that there's only one attribute of God that's raised to the third degree, and that is his holiness. His holiness. And his holiness uh, it just defines everything about him. Now, don't hear me as saying that you know, all the other attributes, like his love and his grace and his mercy, are, are, are less than his holiness. He is all, those, all of his attributes in equal measure, but his holiness is, is at the core of all that. And so, um, so we begin our prayer by the way Jesus modeled it for us. Our Father, you know, may your name be honored as holy. Um, and so I want to go on to the next point. I, I'm, I'm getting closer to showing you what, what I see in this, in this passage, but I've got to show you some other things. And that is, so my next point is, what does it mean to honor God's name as holy? What does that mean? Well, let me begin by telling you what it doesn't mean. <laughs> um, you cannot honor God's name as holy if you believe yourself to be the center of the universe. That's a, you know, I don't think that's surprising to most of you, if not all of you. But you're not the center of God's universe. He is the center of the universe. We exist for him. He doesn't exist for us. He wasn't lonely one day and decided, what can I do? Oh, I know. I'll create some human beings, and that will make my day fuller. Like, that was not what he did. Um, what he did was he created creation out of the overflow of his love. And so, what does it mean to honor his name as holy? Well, there's a passage in Exodus chapter 15, verse 11. Uh, and just so before we read this together, I just want to share this with you. If you don't know, in Exodus chapter 15 is the song that Moses and the Israelites sang after they were delivered from the clutches of Pharaoh and slavery when God parted the sea and they walked through it. 
they sang this song. And uh, in verse 11, it, it just, it, I, I think like if there's a big idea of that song, verse 11 of chapter 15 is it. Um, let's read this together, ready? Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? And the answer is, no one's like you. No one is like you. There's only one um, that meets this criteria, and it's Yahweh. It's, it's Adonai. It's Elohim. That's, that's who meets this criteria. The universe exists for him, not the other way around. And so um, there's this Puritan by the name of Edward Lee who said this about the holiness of God, and it's worth, it's worth just mentioning it to you. I, I think it puts it in perspective. He said this, that he describes the holiness of God as the beauty of all God's attributes, without which his wisdom would be subtlety, his justice, cruelty, his sovereignty, tyranny, and his mercy, foolish piety, or foolish pity. And uh, I, I think it you know, nails that. There's, a, there's another Puritan pastor from the 1600s by the name of um, Stephen Charnick. I just got a whole set on the attributes of God that he wrote. And uh, he, <laughs> he commented on Exodus chapter 15, verse 11, in the form of a discourse of about 134 pages unpacking that verse as it relates to the holiness of God. Now, let me share some examples of what honoring the Lord's name as holy does not look like. And what I mean by that, let me share some examples of what it looks like to dishonor or disregard God as holy. Uh, the first example is, is you know, two brothers by the name of Nadab and Abihu. They were the sons of the priest Aaron. Aaron was like Moses' sidekick. Like Aaron was there when God you know, revealed himself through the plagues. He was there when God parted the Red Sea. My guess is Nadab and Abihu were also there when they walked through the Red Sea. If they weren't there, they were certainly there when God did some pretty amazing things in the wilderness and like their father, because their father was from the tribe of Levi, so Nadab and Abihu, that was a tribe that was set apart as the Levitical priesthood. They mediated the worship of Israel before God. So they were given specific instructions of how they were to do that. They were to treat all those instructions uh, with, with reverence, uh, and, to, and doing that, treat God as holy, to hallow his name in the way they live their lives. Well, Nadab and Abihu um, uh, were told in, in Leviticus chapter 10, verses 1 through 2, and this is, I think, all that we know of them. Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and, authorized, uh, and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord. Now, yeah, I don't know what that is. I don't know if it was like, oh, we discovered gasoline. Let's use that. That will be faster. Or lighter fluid or whatever or some kind of flammable thing. I, I don't know. But God had prescribed to them the exact way they were to um, go about this type of worship and they instead thought, well, let's do it our way. Let's Let's worship God on our terms. 
And so they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had commanded them not to do. He had not commanded them. And fire came out before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Now, it's pretty clear what happened. They violated God's standard. They approached God in an unholy way on their terms. God judged them. They died. Now, we learn in the following verse, Moses, when he, like Aaron wasn't there when it happened. So Aaron walks up, and my guess is like, he, he sees his sons, and they're charred, and they're dead. And before he even opens his mouth, Moses said to him, this is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near to me, I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. Now what did Aaron do? Did he, did he protest? Did he say, well, that's not fair. Like, these are my boys. Like, I, I raised them up to be priests. I, I gave my life for you, Lord. Why, why would you do this to me? Now we're told in verse 3 that he held his peace because he understood. He understood what had happened and why it happened. Well, that's one story. There's another story. Seth actually, uh, you know, one night was reading First uh, Samuel, and uh, I came home. He said, "Yeah, I read the first three chapters of Samuel." I'm like, "Cool!" <laughs> like that—that that made my heart, you know, feel good. And uh, the other thing about that is, I was familiar with First Samuel, the first three chapters. It's not just about Samuel; it's about another priest by the name of Eli. And uh, I actually. Um, that night, after Seth went to bed, I, I sat down and read the first three chapters of 1 Samuel just to, just to just read it again. Eli had two sons who were not living for the Lord. They were also priests. They were in that priestly order of Levi. And um, Eli, Eli was old. He had, he, he's characterized, he's told, we're told that he was obese like in a, in a pretty bad way. Why, why did he become obese? Because, see, when the people would offer their, would bring their sacrifices, the, Levi, the Levites, they didn't have any land. They didn't inherit any land. They were dependent upon the, 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 um, the offerings of the people. They would take a portion of that to survive. But Eli was taking the best of those sacrifices and stuffing his face. And so um, we're told in 1 Samuel chapter 2 this. Now Eli was very old, and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance of the tent of meeting, the, the, the place of worship. And he said to them, Why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all, the pe all these people. And that's about the extent of Eli's rebuke of his sons. He didn't... He didn't tell them to step down. He, he just, that's all that he said. And um, we uh, were told in chapter 2, verse 29, this is God's response to Eli. Why do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling and honor, listen to this, and honor your sons above, my, above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel? And then later on, God promises this. He said, I promise that your house and the house of your father should go 
in and out before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me, for those who honor me I will honor, and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. And it didn't end well for Eli. Like his two sons were killed. And then when Eli heard about his sons and then heard that the Ark of the Covenant was taken, um, Eli, we're told, he fell back on his chair, landed on his head and broke his neck and died. There's one other story I want to point out to you, and I think it will help you understand Isaiah 6 a little bit more. And that's about uh, Uzziah, the king, um, and how his life ended tragically. He, uh, he thought that nobody could tell him what he could or couldn't do. So he even, you know, he, he thought that he could, even though he was a king and even though he was not part of the tribe of Levi, that he could go into the temple and burn incense like the priests. And uh, he was adamant that he was going to do it. And uh, because nobody was going to tell him what he could or could not do. So this is what we read in Second Chronicles 26 as to what happened to him. But Azariah, the priest, went in after him with 80 priests of the Lord who were men of valor. And they withstood King Uzziah and said to him, It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. Go out of the sanctuary, for you have done wrong, and it will bring you no honor from the Lord God. Then Uzziah was angry. Now he had a censer in his hand to burn incense, and when he became angry with the priest, listen, leprosy broke out on his forehead in the presence of the priests in the house of the Lord by the altar of incense, which had no cure. And Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked at him, and behold, he was leprous in his forehead. And they rushed him out quickly, and he himself hurried to go out because the Lord had struck him. I find it ironic that the leprosy began on his head, which is the source of his pride. Right? And it says, and then we read, And King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death, and being a leper lived in a separate house, for he was excluded from the house of the Lord. Like, we read the Lord's Prayer, and I said last week, when we approach him, we, Jesus is very careful about his word choice here, and he begins with, our Father. You know, I talked about that. Our Father, well, who is he? He's Elohim. He's the God who creates. He is Yahweh. He's the God who keeps his covenant. And he is Adonai. He is sovereign. And it's he that we can go to and approach him as Father. But when we approach him, we must also understand that he is three times holy. He is holy, holy, holy. And even the angels who, who, who did not rebel against God, who did not sin against them, they cover their face with one set of wings, they cover their feet with another set of wings, and the third set of wings, they fly around the altar and they sing that song day and, you know, all the time. And what we learn from this is that, yes, we're redeemed. Yes, we've been forgiven of our sins, but we must understand who God is and how we are to approach him. He is holy. There are many other stories in the Bible that serve to warn us of the dangers of, of approaching a holy God in a way that we fail to regard and honor him as holy. There's a story of King Saul 
Like his life ended tragically. God told him, this is what I want you to do with the Amalekites. This is how you're to deal with them. Saul said, I can think of something better to do with them. I'll spare the king, and I'll do this and that, and we'll take this and this, and we'll be good, and we'll call it good. I'm going to approach God on his terms. And so God, when, when, when God confronted him about his sin through the prophet Samuel, he said, um, he said to, to obey is better than to sacrifice. You, you've not obeyed me. And today your kingdom is being stripped from you. And that's exactly what happened. And then there's another guy by the name of Uzzah, who, uh, you know, David was, was leading, you know, had recovered the Ark of the Covenant that was lost. They, 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 just, they recovered it. And he did not appropriately, you know, have the, 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 the Ark of the Covenant carried by the priest as it was supposed to be carried. Instead, he put it on an ox cart and they led it back into, into Israel. And Uzzah, who, one of the guys who was just charged with just being next to the, 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 temp, or the Ark of the Covenant, and he saw that it started to wobble, and Uzzah believed that his hand was less polluted than the dirt that the Ark of the Covenant was about to fall into. And so what did he do? He stabilized the Ark of the Covenant, and he died. David was angry. God reminded him, you, know, you approach me on my terms. Uzzah did not treat God as holy. He was arrogant enough to think that his hand was cleaner than the dirt. There's another story uh, that's not just in the Old Testament. There are stories in the New Testament. And some of you are you know, probably aware of this one, Ananias and Sapphira. In Acts, like that's the church People were bringing their offering you know, to, the, to the church for the church to use for the mission of the church. And, and so others were like selling their land. And, and I can just imagine Ananias and Sapphira looking at this and thinking, wow, that's impressive, but we don't want to do that. We're not, we're not ready to be that sacrificial. But I'll tell you what we'll do is just so that we could be honored in the same way these other people were honored, so that we can look good, just like the way these other people look pretty good, we're going to say that we sold it all. So Ananias went in there, and, and uh, Peter said, hey, so, uh, you know, what did you, what'd you do with your land? He said, well, I sold it all. And then Peter said, why have you lied to the Holy Spirit? There are men waiting to carry your body out. And Ananias fell down, died. That would change giving, <laughs> right? And then his wife walked in after him, didn't know what happened to her husband. She said the same thing. She fell over and died. That's in the church. And then, then the Corinthian church, what was happening with them is that they were using the time of, uh, uh, of the Lord's Supper, uh, the Passover meal, communion, they were using that as an excuse or an opportunity to get drunk and to stuff their faces. And Paul said... The, Many of you have gotten sick and died because you've abused the Lord's table. You figured you could approach God on your terms, and this is why some of you have died. And there are other stories, which I don't have time to go into, but I share these stories with you to, just so you can appreciate what this first petition is saying here. Hallowed be your name. He is to be honored as holy. We are to live our lives in that light 
to, to, that he is the center of the universe. We're not. We exist for him. So, so here's what I want to show you. Um, as you look at the Lord's Prayer, of, and you see these six petitions, and I had not seen this before until recently, the first petition, hallowed be your name, is served by the following five petitions. So I just want to show you what that looks like. Your kingdom come for the hallowing of your name. Your will be done for the hallowing of your name. Give us this day our daily bread for the hallowing of your name. Forgive us as we forgive others for the hallowing of your name. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil for the hallowing of your name. Another way you could say this is, your kingdom come for the renown of your name in the, uh, amongst the nations. Your will be done in my life and in the nations for the renown of your name. Give us our daily bread. Provide us for our needs for the renown of your name. Forgive us as we forgive others for the renown of your name. Lead us not into temptation for the renown of your name. Do you see it? It's there. We exist for Him. And when we pray, the reason, you know, maybe the reason why our pr- some of your prayers feel like they have not been answered is because, because it's not about Him. It's about me or it's about you. For the renown of His name. For the renown of His name. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. He is the Creator. We are the creature. He is in heaven while we are on earth. He is, in, he is heavenly while we are earthly. He is eternally sufficient while we are utterly dependent upon him. That's what the Lord's Prayer teaches us. And it's a model for the way that we're to pray. You know, we're going to celebrate communion in just a second, but I just want you to see that this is not just in the Lord's Prayer. This is all throughout Scripture. There are four passages I just want to scripture passages I want to show you um, two in the Old Testament two in the New Testament and let's read these together ready for my own sake for my own sake I do it for how should my name be profaned my glory I will not give to another and in Malachi chapter 1 verse 11 for from the rising of the sun to its setting my name will be great among the nations and in every place incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. And then Romans chapter 11. This is one of my favorite scripture passages. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. It is true, right? And you now know a Greek word. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Amen? Only when God becomes the center of your universe will you be able to see your life and the world around you properly. You can open your communion packet, I guess, that's what we call it.
The bread symbolizes the body of Jesus Christ. Hours before he was to be crucified, he celebrated the Passover meal with his disciples and he took up the bread and he said, this is my body that's about to be broken for you. He was going to redeem a people for himself. He was going to go to a cross to atone for not just the sins of his disciples and not just for that first generation, but every generation that would follow who would place their faith and trust in him. He said, every time you gather together, I want you to take this bread and eat it in remembrance of me. Let's eat together. The cup that he held up was just one of of a series of cups. This cup was different. He specifically said when he held up the cup, this is the cup, this is the cup, the new covenant in my blood. I'm going to go to a cross and I'm going to shed my blood for you. And I'm going to make a reality all the promises that God had made to your forefathers. Like in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and give you a heart to love him and obey him. In the first service, I met a guy who just got out of prison. He was in prison, he was sentenced to life in prison. They overturned that ruling. He's been, he's been out of prison, I think, for 20 days. Doesn't have a home yet. And uh, he was telling me about how God changed his life. And he's telling me about how, like, like his appetites are different. And he just was quoting verses. And he was just so happy. He said to me, he said, um, God is able to do the impossible. I was, I think he said, like 20 days ago, I was in prison looking at a life sentence, lifetime sentence without parole. He said, before I, before I was in prison, I was a skinhead and I was a racist. God changed my heart. He was in the first service. He was sitting in the back. We were talking for a while before the first service. God changed my heart. That's what Jesus went to the cross for. I mean, that's, that's what we're seeing in the Sermon on the Mount. He changes hearts. In, in Ezekiel chapter 36, the promise was given that he will remove our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh and a new spirit he will put in his people. Jesus said, I'm going to do that when I go to the cross. This is the new covenant in my blood that's going to be poured out for each and every one of you. So he said, every time you gather together, drink this in remembrance of me. Let's drink. This is when we approach God, we're to approach him on his terms. He is holy. He is Elohim. He is Yahweh. He is Adonai. He is holy. There's none like him. This is why when we come to worship, when we gather together, when we go out into our, to our homes, into our place of work, or uh, when we're around our family, that, that, that it's about the renown of his name. His name. And that we live our lives in such a way to obey Him. Even when others might say, no, 
We obey Him. He is the center of our universe. Let's stand. I want to close with just have us read this verse one more time. Let's read this. Ready? Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? And the answer is, no one's like him. And then each and every one of us that have placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ can call this God, we can call him Daddy, we can call him Father, as we are sent into our world to spread the renown of his name among you know, in the midst of Cheyenne, Wyoming, and the other states, and, and also the world. Amen? God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for what you're doing in our lives. If there's anyone in here, Lord, that does not yet know you because they do not yet know your son, God, I pray that they'll hear these words, that all who confess that your son Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that you, O oh God, raised him from the grave will be saved. That salvation is found in no one else but the name of Jesus the Christ. And for the rest of us, God, it's all about you. It's all about you. We exist for you. That is where our purpose is discovered. That is where joy is found. That is where contentment is experienced. It's in you. And it's in your name we pray, through Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Meadowbrook Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit meadowbrook.org.